Today's episode of Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to twoman.robinhood.com. That's twoman.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. everybody, Scott Burnside here, another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And what a podcast this will be. We will be joined later by St. Louis Blues GM Doug Armstrong on the eve of the NHL All-Star Weekend. And we'll be talking his team's defense of the Stanley Cup. And first of all, Pierre Lebrun, I, I wish that I was still wearing my old Montreal Expos jersey. I had one. I don't know where it is now, but a day after Larry Walker goes into the Hall oh, of Fame, I saw you amazing. tweet about it. I wish I had my Expos shirt on. Are, do you have Expos garb in your house? Do you have some Expos stuff? I still do. I got a couple of shirts. I got a hat. Um, as I tweeted yesterday, and I think it got a lot of reaction, but I was just speaking from the heart. I mean, I miss that team so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I... Watching the Expos as a young kid with my dad and went to a number of games. You know, I, I grew up in northern Ontario, but uh, my dad grew up in Ottawa. So it was, uh, we, we spent a lot of time in Ottawa during the summer and we'd head over to Montreal to watch catch Expo games, a short drive and some of my fondest memories. I mean, I, I really loved that team so much and, uh, yeah. you know, the perfect game from Dennis Martinez in yes. July 91. And, of course, the 94 season where uh, the Expos got robbed of uh, who knows what with the strike. Uh, but, uh, I'll say it. Hopefully they, one get robbed of a, they get robbed of a World Series, my friend. That was, it was yeah, inevitable. You can't, you can't presume that. Can't, I, think, I think we've been, <laughs> yeah. we've been sports writers long enough to take our fan hat off and put the journalist's hat back on to know that who knows about that. But they certainly had an, uh, an awesome team. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you know, seeing Larry Walker go into Cooperstown is, is just tremendous. I honestly didn't think it would happen. Uh, because his, you know, so many of his amazing younger years were in Montreal, where no one paid attention in terms of the U.S. media. But uh, clearly, uh, uh, his numbers spoke for themselves. And um, man, that's that was just tremendous. Yeah. Well, so and because as you know, most of these stories are about me. But when I left the <laughs> Windsor Star to move to Toronto, which then led to our 
the forging of our relationship, which of course mm-hmm. is hugely important and certainly in my life, I can't speak for you, but uh, when I left the Windsor Star at my going away party at the uh, Windsor Press Club overlooking the Detroit River, one of my gifts from the uh, newsroom staff there was a one of those sort of satin Montreal Expos, I don't know whether it was a batting jacket. Like but a like warm-up the, jacket or yeah, something. Yeah, like right? a warm-up yeah. jacket. Oh yeah. my God, I was the happiest man alive. That was... Uh, <laughs> That was tremendous. So there you go. Uh, yeah. oh, on to a little hockey. Uh, let's start with uh, something that happened this weekend. You and I had talked a little bit about it, but it, could there have been a better script for Justin Williams to come back oh. to the Carolina Hurricanes after, you know, weighing retirement and then working out and then finally, you know, signing um, to come on to return to the team he captained to the Eastern Conference Final last spring. He scores the shootout winner uh, in his first game back and then has two goals in his next game. Uh, Carolina hits their break uh, on a on a big high, a very impressive win. I watched that game last night, the night before we're taping this. Um, they beat Winnipeg 4-1 to one and, and really, you know, was you, my sense is just his presence in that room has already, um, you know, has has added to the vibe there. And this comes, of course, with the against the backdrop of losing Dougie Hamilton to a broken fibula. Mm, that uh, was just so di- like just brutal. Yeah, yeah, just, just brutal. But hated sort of the, seeing that. Yeah, the yin and yang of what's going on with that Canes team. And I, I wonder when you, when you think now of Justin Williams coming back and. Because sometimes it doesn't work, right? I mean, we've seen players who've done similar things or older players where it's just, it's hard, right? It's really hard to, you know, to to catch up or to, you know, to make, you know, to be the kind of player you want to be. And I wonder what you make of what you've seen in the early returns for Justin Williams and Mm -hmm. how important that is for Carolina. Yeah, he he just looks like he never left. And it's amazing. And one thing that struck me when I interviewed Mike Fisher for piece I wrote about comparing his comeback to Justin Williams and Mike Fisher coming back out of retirement uh, to join the Predators late in that season a couple of years ago when they lost to Winnipeg in Game 7. Um, the big difference is that, you know, Mike Fisher had really not skated until the moment right before the trade deadline that he decided to come back. I think it was mid to late January where he finally said, okay, I, I really am coming back. And then he started to ramp up his workouts. Justin Williams... Uh, you know, has been skating since the fall, very secretly. I mean, he, he he really kept in shape the whole year, essentially. Now, obviously, in December, those workouts got more serious and he ramped it up to a whole new level. But the point is, Justin Williams didn't retire like Mike Fisher did. He kept his options open. And I think that has given him a leg up, I think, physically in terms of, you know, how difficult it was for Mike Fisher to come back. Now, I thought Mike Fisher certainly had his moments in the playoffs for Nashville, but my point is, I think Justin Williams is coming back like he almost didn't leave. And you're seeing that. I mean, against Winnipeg, he was all over the place. I can't believe he didn't, you know, get the hat trick. He had that many looks. And just that's like a huge trade deadline addition for the Carolina Hurricanes um, to add, you know, a player of that talent and experience and leadership. Um and so now I, I suspect what you'll see is the Hurricanes go and try to trade for a defenseman, obviously in large part because Dougie Hamilton got hurt. But I got to tell you, Scotty, I think that Don Waddell was out there examining the market anyway, even before that injury, because I yeah. think the Hurricanes wanted to add like more of a defensive defenseman uh, to their core. Now, whether this affects 
the kind of defenseman they're looking for. We'll see, but uh, I do think they'll be on the lookout. Yeah, it's they're an interesting team because um, certainly before Dougie Hamilton uh, was injured, and and I think it would be fair. You know, we're going to talk to Doug Armstrong later. He's he's got a player in his team, and Alex Petrangelo, that is playing lights out. Certainly Norris worthy. John Carlson's having a season, you know, an, an elite season to put it lightly, and pro- is the clubhouse leader probably for the Norris. But but I think it was fair to have Dougie Hamilton in the Norris discussion before this injury. What's you know the you know the timeline as far as I've been able to figure out is it's still very. I I just don't think they know just yet. Um, you know, mm-hmm. surgery, you know, can he get back by the playoffs? I know you look at different players, you know, is it half a season? Is it three months? Is it less than that? It, it's, it, you know, it, no one knows for sure. Um, and, and really, I mean, part of what this team, you know, when they signed Jake Gardner late in the off season, you know, it's been, this is an opportunity for Jake Gardner, but it hasn't been a really smooth transition for him coming from Toronto to Carolina. So, this will be an opportunity for him. And do you think in the in the time between now and as we lead up to February 24th, do you think the way Jake Gardner assumes some of these responsibilities um, will affect how Don Waddell moves in terms of the kind of defenseman he wants to add? Like there's mm-hmm. there are some layers to it. Yeah, I, I mean, you don't replace Dougie Hamilton, but when you have Jacob Slavin, first of all, who remains, in my opinion maybe the most underrated defenseman in the National Hockey League as far as people Agreed. in other markets understanding how good he is. He does it all. And then you got Jake Gardner, you're right, who probably gets a bump now. Um, and maybe there was a time earlier this season where the Hurricanes perhaps weren't quite sure if Jake Gardner was going to fit in right with them. I think now that's like they, they, they need, I mean, he's he has to be part of their fabric now for certainly for the rest of the year, I would think. Um, you know, especially with Dougie Hamilton's injury. But I think where they'd like to get better is in terms of shutdown minutes, right? Um, in terms of more of a defensive defenseman. So we'll see what they end up doing. You know, I kind of wondered whether a guy like Brendan Dillon from the San Jose Sharks would be interesting for them. Uh, pending UFA, the Sharks obviously will, uh, in all likelihood, sell off their UFA parts, um, given that they're not headed to the playoffs. Um you know, Dylan, I don't know where he's going to end up, but he's a guy that certainly will help your penalty kill. And and when the playoffs, as you know, Scotty, become a bit of a different grind and more of a physical battle, um, I think he's a type of player that, that fits in well during that time of year. But again, maybe it's someone of a higher stature than a Brendan Dillon that, that the Hurricanes look at. Um, and I also think, frankly, that they're not 100% sure about their goaltending. You know, I, I think that... You know, I don't know now with the Hamilton injury whether they cap-wise they can do two things, but I've reported this before, but I'm telling you that the Hurricanes have kept a close eye on what's happening with Chicago and, and Robin Leonard because he's a player they tried to sign last summer. I think most people know that. And he's UFA. He signed that one-year deal in Chicago. Um, you know, the Hawks, uh, with a tough loss at home last night as we taped this, they lost to Florida. But the Hawks have been resurgent of late. They're in the playoff race. So if you're in the playoff race, it doesn't even matter whether you sign Robin Leonard to an extension or not before the trade deadline, right? I mean, you're probably going to want to use him right to the end of his deal and see what happens. But there's four weeks to go before the deadline. What if they fall out of it again? 
And I think he's he's a goalie that Carolina has on on, on its radar. Yeah, it, it's interesting though, and I'm with you because some nights, you know, I mean, I I I think it's fair to say that you know if you had and I'm using my air quotes here but uh, if you had an elite goaltender if you had a bona fide number one starter that you would probably consider Carolina a, a legitimate Stanley Cup contender I think the way they're built the way they play you know all those kinds of things but mm-hmm. yeah you're right and Peter Mrazek was excellent against Winnipeg although he didn't face too many shots I mean James Reimer at times has Look like he might be a guy that Rod Brindamore was going to turn to as becoming the number one guy there, and uh, and but you know you know they, yeah you're right you're sort of like well I don't know, <laughs> but if you're going to make a move there you want to make sure that it's a significant upgrade, and there aren't many goaltenders who could be available on the market in my opinion who qualify that way, but Robin Leonard is one of them. But you're right it's it's complicated now in Chicago because you know. The reason, one of the main reasons that they're in this hunt is that Robin Leonard has once again been tremendous. So I don't know. Like, what if you're Stan Bowman and you you have a chance to regain some assets as well as this team has played? Do you, you know, that's to me that's that, that's a hard decision for a guy like Stan Bowman to to make because mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, I don't see them as a playoff team. I don't I don't see who they I'm, I'm I don't see them creeping into the number eight spot or into one of the wildcard spots, but what do you do? See, I, I, I think they might actually, but anyway, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's why the next few weeks are so important. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making a bunch of calls this week and, and going to produce a, uh, a massive 31 team trade deadline, uh, preview for Friday morning, um, which will, uh, look at all 31 teams and and I, I tell you there's such a recurring theme among a bunch of teams that they just can't tell you right now what they're going to be at the trade deadline because they need the next few weeks to play out that's how close the standings are right and and so i it, like it's going to be fascinating to me that about seven days out of february 24th teams are just going to have to call it you know we're five points out are we in are we out and and it's going to affect uh you know the players that are actually made available and it's going to affect you know the number of teams that are actually buying, so it's it's a fascinating time, and and a lot's going to change, and some of it's going to change just based on bad luck. I mean, there we just saw the Dougie Hamilton injury. Hopefully, we have none of those between now and February twenty fourth. But I think we've been around long enough to know there are going to be other injuries that completely change the script for certain teams. I mean, if you're a top team in the in either conference, if you're a top three team in either conference and sustain an, an injury to a core player. You're, you have to be aggressive. You can't let the season die. But you also have, if it's a real serious injury, like for example, Jake Gensel in Pittsburgh, you actually have those cap savings to use if you want because of the way the system is set up. Um, you know, any player that doesn't come back until the playoffs have started, uh, his cap number basically goes out in thin air. It's crazy the way it works. And Chicago benefited, um, you know, when that happened with Patrick Kane in 2015. So keep an eye on that whole uh, line of thinking as well. Yeah, it's um. I uh I, I am I am curious to think, now you know we always we I mean we love the trade deadline right and it's a huge build up I mean you're part of the one of the great trade deadline machines with your work at TSN and it's such a you know it's like a it's like a national holiday for hockey fans right mm-hmm. and but sometimes there's been a letdown do you because things are so tight I mean I think of the Pacific Division where. 
you know, you have a bad week, you go from first to outside the playoffs. I mean, it, it literally, you know, it happened with Vegas, who the day they fired Gerard Gallant was outside the playoffs. Now they currently sit in the second wildcard spot, but they're, it's so tight. Do you think that this then leads to, and to your point, that pe- teams not deciding until right to the very end, that we will see this sort of flood of players coming on the market on February 21st or 22nd or 23rd leading up to the 24th deadline? Like, do we, will we see that kind of, you know, sort of tidal wave of players coming on in the market given how this is going to happen? Or do you think it's just going to be it, the opposite? Does it teams say, you know what, I'm not going to move, I'm not going to trade you know, and let's, you know, pick a, pick a team that might, you know, you know, Chicago, I, I'm not going to trade Robin Leonard, um, because I think we're close enough or how do right. you think it might play out? I, you know, I don't know about a flood, but I think there, yeah, there will be several names that pop up four or five days out of the deadline that weren't there before. And I'll give you an example. Like, let's say the national predators don't get back in the race. You know, I mean, you want to talk about a team where the next three weeks are gigantic, right? Yeah. Here are two names that have never been mentioned, really, but that will suddenly become available if the Predators declare themselves as sellers. I mean, Mikel Granlin and Craig Smith are UFA July 1st. Right. You don't think there'd be any interest in either one of those guys if they're available at the yep. trade deadline? Well, uh, what about, of course there would be. Um, yeah, what about Nick Benino? He's got... Uh, he's got a year and a half left, yeah. 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 And so that so, might be a, a different decision, but you never know because those year and a half left guys have become popular, right? Because now you're buying if you're a contender two playoff seasons instead of just one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just giving you an example of a team yeah, of that right now, you know, is still in. They're acting like they're still in. They hope to be still in. But there's also going to be a come to Jesus moment for some of these teams. And Nashville could be one of them. So, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of beating up the same names right now because there are some teams that have declared themselves out a long time ago. You know, Tyler Toffoli's name's been out there forever because the Kings knew they were going to sell them three months ago. And they yeah. will sell him. But you're going to have a new group of players, you're right, that are suddenly going to pop up probably about seven to ten days out from the deadline. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to keep on this theme. Doug Armstrong, St. Louis Blues GM, will be joining us later. Pierre, and I think your point is an excellent one. And and it's Nashville is such an odd team for me because when you look at the standings as we're taping this, um, you know, they got one, two, three, four. They got three teams plus to jump to get back into it. They have, you know, there's six points out of the second wild card spot, but they have a bunch of games in hand. So, um, you know, those it is going to be, you know, these next two or three weeks are going to be really critical for David Poyle. But he's a GM that really, in my mind, he makes the decision and then he's, then he's not afraid, right? They, they missed two years in a row. Um, and he was very aggressive about moving pieces that he didn't think he could keep long term and I think that comes from being a small market team and losing guys like Dan Hamwis and Ryan Suter so he's very decisive when it comes to that the team I'm really curious about and it's coming off a a disheartening loss to the New York Islanders uh, as we tape this the New York Rangers Artemi Panarin didn't play he was hurt he's not going to the all-star game now but Chris Kreider, a potential UFA, will be taking his place in St. Louis at All-Star Weekend. I'm sure no one will bother to ask him, well, what do you think your future is like? Because in my <laughs> mind, he is now with Taylor Hall in Arizona. He's the number one rental potentially on the market. And really now it's hard to imagine that the Rangers 
will be anything but sellers given where they are in the standings now. Mm. It's, a, it's an yeah. interesting time for Jeff Gordon because uh, that team's got a lot going on. Right, like that team is, they may, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. I think that's obvious, given the, you know, the teams they have to jump and the points they have to make up. But boy, there's so much to like about mm-hmm. that team. But Jeff Gordon's got a lot of moving pieces there. Yeah, not to mention the three goalie circus, uh, which we can talk about another time because um, that's that's so fascinating to me uh, when yeah. it involves a legend, but. In terms of Kreider, I think the Rangers will make a legitimate attempt to sign him first, or at least have the conversation with uh, with his camp. Uh, whether or not it leads to an actual offer, we'll see. And then if you know if the two sides can't come to an agreement, then obviously they trade him. It's pretty simple. I mean, Ottawa's got a parallel situation with Jean Gabriel Pajot, who will be a very hot commodity. I mean, you talk about a right hand shot center who's yeah. one of the league's best penalty killers who just happens to be having an offensive explosion in his career this year. And uh, you could play him all over the place. I mean, Pajot, to me, is right there with Kreider as far as, uh, you know, a difference maker. He was a terrific player on that Sens team that surprised and went to the conference final three years ago. Uh, but again, what the reason I said parallel situation is I think Ottawa will try, you know, to see what it would take to sign him at some point in the next week or two next couple weeks before they decide whether or not they can't and, and have to sell and, and that's the normal procedure right with some of these players i mean um you know it's 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 interesting that it comes to this i mean it, I, sometimes i wonder why you can't have this conversation in september or october in terms of the contract but it always seems to involve putting everyone back everyone's backs towards the trade deadline in terms of having to make a decision what do you think either of those players, Chris Kreider or JG Pajot, are given their seasons and frankly given the you know, there's not a ton of you know, impact top six forwards available and certainly in Pajot's case in there's you know, the center market is very bare if you're looking to add a, an impact center. Are those the kind of guys that we see teams anteing up a first round pick for or will it strict at this stage, are we talking only conditional first-round pick on whether teams can sign them long-term and or advance deep into the playoffs? Are, are we at that stage with GMs so protective of first-round picks? Or are, are those two players in and of themselves representing the kind of uh, ad that a GM could make that it's worth the first-round pick? What do you, What do mm. you think? I don't know if the first is there, and I'll give you an example of a team that that I believe has has Pajot on their radar, and that's the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, I I think they, I think they'd be interested in having that conversation with Ottawa about him. Um, it would give them so much flexibility in their lineup. I mean, imagine having your center possibilities being around McDavid, Drysaitel, Nugent Hopkins, and Pajot. Um, uh, you know, but. Um, I just don't see a scenario in which Ken Holland in his first year uh, as GM of a team that still has a lot of holes and ha- and has some long-term decisions to make. Yes, they may make the playoffs this year, and that would be important to Connor McDavid and important to a fan base that's only seen it once in 13 years. But I just don't see a scenario in which he trades a first-round pick. I just don't, right? Uh, I, I don't know that he can do that. 
Um, but are there other assets that could entice Ottawa in a Peugeot trade? I mean, that's that's the question. Yeah, it it just it, I I it, maybe it's the same every year, but I just think it's fascinating because you know we're at a stage in the NHL now where if you can't you know if you can't draft and develop properly then you really are behind the eight ball in terms of building a winning team, a consistent playoff team. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, we went through a period where, you know, there might have been, you know, maybe five or six years ago even, you know, teams would say first rounder for Chris Kreider. Yeah, because he's a guy who could, you know, he's that kind of guy, right? Power forward, very fast, great skills. You know, same thing with Pajot's had a breakout year for the Sens. So, but but I think the philosophy really has changed in the NHL where you have to you have to be so protective of first round picks and even if you're a good team if you're you know if you're picking twenty third or twenty fourth or you know if let's say St Louis decides that they want to make a top six ad um, and you know they felt Doug Armstrong felt he could you know he put a first round pick in play that might be the thirtieth pick right or the twenty ninth pick or whatever it is but. You can't just give those away now. At least that's my sense. Do you, when you're talking to GMs, do you feel that there has been this sort of, you know, discernible shift where, you know, unless it's a player that you can really figure on keeping long term, or you really feel he is the one piece that puts you that one step ahead and, and gives you a legitimate chance at a cup win or going to a final, that you that you don't trade a first round pick, or is it case by case? there's certainly more of a reluctance. I still think we're going to see it at this deadline, but it's just, it's become less common than it has. And, you know, I, I think of when Winnipeg traded a first round pick for Paul Stashny um, a, a couple of years ago, they had the second best record in the National Hockey League. Remember, Nashville, Winnipeg went one, two in the overall standings. Yep. So you're cognizant at the trade deadline that at worst, you've given up the 26, 27, 28th or 29th pick or something like that. You're not... You know, part of the problem for a lot of these other teams where the price might be a first-round pick to add a player is that they're only five or six points above the danger zone. Now, obviously, that's why you probably make it conditional where you say, if I, we miss the playoffs, we're getting that pick back and you're getting next year's pick. But you really got to feel comfortable in your own skin. But, you know, having said that, even Boston last year, as comfortable as they were in the standings, you know, um, Don Sweeney was able to, to, to keep his first-round pick despite going out and getting Marcus Johansson and Charlie Coyle. He found other ways to augment his lineup without giving up a first-round pick, and I thought that was really good work on his part. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to, uh, we're getting ourselves to the end of the first segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. But I wanted to ask you, it, we sort of, it, it's come up in conversation. You just mentioned a team that I'm, I'm so fascinated with, and, and we talked about them a little bit off the top because they were the, they, they had to suffer through Justin Williams' uh, brilliant two goal game in a, in a loss in Carolina. And that's the Winnipeg Jets. And, of all the teams, I don't know whether they're looking forward. They might be looking forward to the break more than any other team. And I know they're going to play later today after you and I are done taping. They go to Columbus to, to wrap up their pre-break schedule. But, man, it is tough times in Winnipeg. And after a period of time where it looked like, you know, they were in that second, third spot in the Central Division. And you and I talked about how what a great job Paul Maurice had done the absence of Dustin Bufflin and the, the you know the deficiencies along the blue line, uh, but that team has really been rocked. They've lost three in a row, uh, five of six, and they are they're getting like they're not 
they're not in games. <laughs> it's a tough time for them. And I wonder, you know, is this a team that you can see, okay, you know, Kevin Cheveldayoff, you know, he's got to figure things out like everyone else who's on that sort of bubble. Uh, but this is my sense in reading and watching is that uh, this is things are pretty grim in Winnipeg right now. Yeah, but I don't think they're ready to give up on the season. I, I, right. I think if anything, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say Kevin Cheveldayoff probably wants to go out and add a piece to help his team. Yeah. Um, make it, you know, I mean, this is a team that's knocked at the door for a few years. And I think, I think you want to reward them for against all odds, even being in within, you know, as we taped this three points of a playoff spot, given what that blue line looks like. I mean, it's crazy. Now the smoke and mirrors blue line has finally come home to roost over the last month. You know, they, they've just not been as good defensively and Connor Hellebuck, you know, really covered up a lot of that. I mean, he, he's, had an outstanding year and of late again, I, I see a team, you know, Hellebuck like the rest of his teammates. I see a team in the last couple of weeks that is fried that, that just to your point, it's been such a grind. It's almost like from the first game of the year, because they knew what their issues were on the blue line, that they, they were going to have to play survival hockey from, from the first week of October on. And they did, but that takes such a toll on mentally, right? Uh, mentally and physically, but I just think I see a team right now that literally needs to go face down and sleep for a week <laughs> because it's just been a lot to ask to play playoff hockey over 82 games. And, um, you know, I think Paul Maurice has done a great job, but they, I'm totally with you. They they just need, like, they need to breathe here for a bit. Well, and, I mean, it's, it's exacerbated by the the issue that has um, been lurking and it's not even the elephant in the room. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but the, you know, what happens with Dustin Bufflin? Is he, mm-hmm. ever, is he going to get to a point where he can play? Can the, you know, what, how can he come back into that room? All those kinds of things. And that affects what Kevin Cheveldayoff may or may not, or can or totally. can't do in terms of adding, you know, and whether it's a guy like Alec Martinez or somebody who, you know, who might come in and, and help shore things up on the blue line. I'm with you. To me, the Jets are one of those teams that if they can get in the playoffs, they are going to be a handful, right? I don't care who right. they play. If they, You know, that St. Louis series in the first round last year was, I know it only went six games, but that was a fascinating series, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think the first four games were won by the road teams. Like, it's, they're a team that could do some damage. But there's also, you know, they're also on that, you know, and because Paul Maurice is in the final year of his contract, there's, and because of what's happened with the coaching community and player, you know, guys like Peter Laviolette and Mike Babcock, um, Gerard Gallant, who are now out there, it, it's it's raised this other narrative of, well, if it's not going to be Paul Maurice, you know, what what is the coaching future in Winnipeg? Which, you know, again, I think Paul Maurice has done an exemplary job in a duff tough spot but if you are looking long term i mean this is something else that kevin shavel it's going to be on kevin shovel radar at least you have to imagine it right well i i think it's crazy to think that it should be anyone else but paul maurice back behind the bench next year in winnipeg in my opinion like right <laughs> i mean again if i would have told you after we got the dustin bufflin news at training camp and looked at the off-season departures of jacob truba uh, Tyler Myers, Ben Sherrod, Ben Sherrod, who's been terrific in Montreal. Yep. And suggest that somehow they'd be three points out of a playoff spot at the All-Star break. How high up the Jack Adams list would you have Paul Maurice? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's no. just that the problem now is that 
this is a, it's a what what have you done for me lately world and and people are seeing a Jets team on the decline which they are of late I mean they're they're just not defending like they were the first couple months Connor Hellebuck has seen too much rubber and and it's just it's a tough scene right now but you know let's see how they come out of the break after finally having some time I I'm, I'm not ready to write off that team look at you I love that about you. All right, my friend. Well, we're just about done to this segment of Two Man Advantage. And if you're listening, we'd love it if you came and rated and subscribed to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, which is theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Now, why would you not do that? I, I'm just, mm-hmm. I think it would be a no-brainer. And if you want to hear the full the full Monty of this edition of Two Man Advantage, which will include a fabulous conversation with St. Louis Blues GM Doug Armstrong, please make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. So uh, there you go. As always, my friend, don't go away, but nice work thus far. I, I, I just hope you can finish out. Don't, I don't want you to. I don't want you to uh, snooze through this final segment. So just make sure you keep up the level. Okay. All right. All right. All right.